Open with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read beginning in verse 3. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. God's Word says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Father, it is with attentive ear, heart, and mind that we gather under your word this morning. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. May we respond as you would guide freely in this place. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. A mother, a brother, Regina... Norman, Todd, Toby, a revival preacher when I was 13 years old, Kurt, Eunice, Gary, I could list more and more names. All names that to you uh, have little meaning unless you know people with those names as well, but each name for me is connected to a face and represents someone in my life, especially in my forming years of understanding God, that God worked very clearly and strongly through in order to bring his special message into my life. A message of love, a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, a message of joy, a message of new life, a message with eternal promises. And every time I think about these names and I think about the odyssey of my life, I rejoice in God and grateful to him for putting these people into my life. And I thank God every time their their remembrance comes across me. And in our passage this morning, in the book of Colossians, Paul, in a similar way, was thanking God that the gospel had come to a particular group of believers in a particular little town in the area we now call Turkey, the town of Colossae. In verse 3 through 6, let's hear it again. 
he says that we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. He was commending them for the report that had come to him about the faith that they had in Christ that wasn't just an intellectual ascent, but was being lived out in their everyday realities of life. And then that the love that they were extending toward one another that was all anchored and tethered into the hope that is encapsulated in the gospel message. This gospel message that anchors hope in the heart of those who embrace it. This gospel message that calls for a response of faith to God. This gospel message that develops in us a love for one another. This gospel message of God who is loving the world so deeply that he was willing to allow his own son to absorb into himself the terrible, grave consequences of sin so that we might know and enjoy a relationship with the living God. This gospel message, which is utterly unique among world messages, this gospel message that is complete in power to deliver, to deliver on what it promises. This is the gospel, namely that it is to set us free from ourselves and the entrapment of our sinful ways and to set us right with God himself, to set us free and to set us right with God himself. So how is it that such an amazing message is to be delivered and communicated to other people? I am one who loves mystery stories. Stories like Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes. I especially like spy thrillers, uh, things like James Bond. I remember in uh, college taking a Russian history course and reading a a fiction book uh, called The Charm School that described how um, uh, uh, Russia was uh, making plans for bringing down the United States from within. I was a Cold War baby, you see, growing up with with those realities. And I was drawn to the intrigue that was inside that particular story. I I am also drawn and really like uh, the very real stories, things like intelligence maneuvers and counterintelligence in the history of uh, military operations. I uh, have been reminded this week about Alan Turing, who is the father of the modern uh, computing systems, And he developed his system as he was uh, working with the British uh, intelligence forces to to break the Nazi um, uh, code system. Winston Churchill would say of Alan Turing that he made the most single, most significant contribution to the war effort in, in his breaking of these secret messages that the Nazis were passing to each other's. Why is it that I I like and I'm drawn to such stories like this? Well, A large part of it is because at the heart of these types of stories, there is a special message that needs to be protected and a special message that needs to be communicated and delivered to other people. Because if it's not, all else is at stake. And the story will crumble if it's not protected and delivered. When I consider the importance of the gospel message, I wonder 
that surely God has entrusted this uniquely powerful reality to angels who could protect and communicate it to people. But the Bible says that's not the way that he has done it. Surely God has taken this incredible message and has placed it in the possession of superheroes among us who have a a capacity to secure and to forcefully deliver this message to people. But no, that's not the way that God has designed it. Well, at the very least, he must entrust it to the most charismatic among us so that somehow we can communicate in a way that is most effective. But no, that's not the way. And if it's not these ways, then how? Well, Colossians gives us a little insight. The unique and powerful and complete good news of God. That life is possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ is entrusted into everyday people like you and me. Who carried along by the Holy Spirit live out and give voice to God's great gospel message to the people in our lives. How is it that you know about God's love for you? about his providing the way for you to know him and that how you are to now live in him. Somebody brought this message to you. In the Colossian case, it was a man named Epaphras. Let's pick up reading at the end of verse 5. Paul writes, he says uh, to this Colossian church about their faith and love springing from the hope of the gospel, that this gospel that has come to you all over the world The gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the spirit. How did the Colossians know How did the Colossians get wind of, how did the Colossians see an example of this gospel message of God? It was through the life of Epaphras and others probably in Paul's team, but he is the one named. Epaphras was one who worked as a ministry partner with Paul. Epaphras was one who would be imprisoned with Paul. And Epaphras was one who apparently was a gospel carrier in the area of Turkey in the Lycus Valley more specifically, where Christian communities were at this time thriving in cities like Hierapolis and Laodicea and also in Colossae. Through Epaphras, God had sown gospel seeds into their lives and a church took root in this village, a church that now finds a letter written by Paul from God. Who is it in your case? Why are you here today? Why do you know about the gospel message of God? Someone has brought the message to you. Somewhere in your life, they've invited you to church. Somewhere in your life, they've lived out the gospel in front of you, as imperfect as that might be. They've told you what Jesus has done in their life. The message has come through someone, a parent, a sibling, a schoolmate, a work colleague, you fill in the blank. If we're to take a moment this morning and I asked you to pull out a pen and you start writing the names of people that God has worked through to deliver his gospel message, I wonder how long your list might be. That may be a great exercise to do this morning.
or sometime this week so that you too, like Paul, might go back in a fresh way and rejoice in what God has done in bringing you this special message. That is God's way. He brings a spiritual message through physical agents. Certainly God is able. Because the Bible is living and active, that someone can open it and read it and respond to the message with very little human involvement. And there are stories about such instances. But the vast majority of the time, God's design is to deliver and to incarnate his gospel message in the lives of us and people like us. So that the gospel seed might be planted in someone who then grows into the likeness of Jesus, bearing fruit, and the gospel then continues to spread, giving life. The gospel spreads because it grows in an understanding of God. If we were to continue reading in uh, the second half of chapter 1 of this letter, we see that Paul goes to great lengths to describe the importance of Jesus. If you ever want to wondering what does the Bible say about Jesus and, and how does it talk about his divinity? How is Jesus himself divine? Think about going to uh, the first chapter of a couple letters. You can start in John chapter 1. You can look at Colossians chapter 1. You can go to Hebrews chapter 1. If you're ever wrestling with what does the Bible say about the divinity of Jesus and, and about his place uh, and our understanding of him, go to the ones. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. Uh, Paul goes on to describe the importance of Jesus, describing him as the supreme one. He describes him as the image of the invisible God, the, the creator through whom and for whom all things were created and by whom. He is the sustainer of all things and he is the head of the church. Paul would go on to describe that Jesus is the one who is uniquely able to restore us to God because he is both the fullness of divinity and coming in fullness of humanity, he is the only one, the only one who could possibly be qualified to span the great chasm between God and you. It took both his full divinity and both his full humanity to be able to bridge that gap. Paul would go on to explain that Jesus is our exchange, that being right with God is only possible through the blood shed by Jesus, that God has designed this serious solution because of the serious problem of sin that has shattered our ability to relate to God. You see, Paul would go on to describe that we can only be reconciled to God because of Jesus' physical body that was put on display, life that was taken from him, and through his resurrection on the dead, uh, from the dead, he is able to give life. So in order for the gospel to grow, there has to be a clear understanding of who God is and what he has done. Without that, there is no gospel. Without that, there is no good message of God's love and redeeming ability. But then for the gospel to grow, it is tied into relationships and imitation of others. Epaphras and Paul are examples of that. Epaphras had met Paul probably in Ephesus. Epaphras had watched Paul's life and sat under his teaching, and then he was released to go and minister into this Lycus Valley in this area of Turkey. It was 
serving Epaphras as a guide by the side of the Colossians rather than always a stage on a stage on the stage. And Colossians chapter three, verse sixteen. Uh, Paul would give us some insight into their life as a congregation. He would say, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your hearts to God. You see, as we grow in our understanding of God then we are expected to be those who encourage and and bring uh, support to each other. Paul would say, and did say often, that you are to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And in a way, that should be all of our lives as we grow in our understanding of God and we learn to follow him, that we become examples to others around us in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we go. Examples, imperfect as we are, of what it means to follow Christ. One life on another. It's no different today. It takes being close to others in life, in time, sharing life. One life on another. Life together. We are to live out God's message to others, both in reaching out to those who don't yet know And in bringing encouragement to one another so that we might embody this great gospel message. As John prayed for us this morning, that those who look at us would know that we are Jesus' followers in the way that we love one another for his glory and for his sake. So that we might be built up into a spiritual dwelling. That is why we engage in talking about Jesus to people that we interact with wherever we go. And especially right here where we live. This is the reason that we engage in missions across the globe and around the world. This is why we are called to both in our teaching and in our example to be carriers of the great gospel message. As uh, we are beginning to talk more about our Lottie Moon Christmas offering and and. It's importance in God's great design of sending out missionaries, providing for them. Uh, Dr. Don Dent's going to come and share with us a little about that offering. Jesus said that our witness should go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And that's the reason each year about this time, churches like ours start talking about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports our missionaries all over the world. You know, Southern Baptists, if you haven't been a Southern Baptist for a long time, are an unusual group of people. We're a denomination really like any other in America. We have no hierarchy. Nobody tells us what to do. We decide that. This church, we follow the scriptures, our authority, and in in contrast to most other denominations, we tell the denomination what to do because the denomination really is just about how these autonomous churches cooperate in missions, and it was that purpose that actually brought us together in the beginning. There would not be a Southern Baptist Convention. There actually wouldn't be a Tiburon Baptist Church. There wouldn't be a Golden Gate Seminary if it weren't for that initial mission vision that brought a group of very independent-minded believers to say, hey, you know, there's one thing that we could do together much better, and that's missions And then once they got organized, they said, hey, you know, we can do theological education 
better together too. This uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering for the whole country is $175 million. That just sounds like an incredible amount of money. But it supports 4,800 missionaries in every part of the world. That's the largest American missions agency out there. Whenever you see the news, whether it's about Ebola in West Africa or a war in the Middle East or... Uh, the largest storm to ever hit uh, the Philippines this this month, just a year ago. Uh, there's Southern Baptist missionaries working in those places. Our missionaries, the missionaries we support. And this offering that we give every Christmas is actually 60% of their support. It's not for frivolous things or little extras. If we don't give this offering, about 3,000 of them are coming home. Our numbers of missionaries grew to its highest in about 2007, 2008, 5,700. And then we had an economic crisis and funding dropped a little bit. And so 900 of those missionaries were cut. So for the last six years, we've had 4,800. But the reality is our giving has not been adequate to support 4,800 for over six years. The International Mission Board has been selling down properties globally. They've been uh, using up all the reserves from which they actually used to gain money, several million dollars a year, to keep those missionaries out there. All the reserves are gone. All the properties are gone. If we don't increase our giving this year, about 800 of those missionaries are probably coming home in the next year or so. We set our own goals every year. Our church for a number of years has given 20000 That's been our goal. But if we could increase that this year by 20%, we can actually maintain the level that we presently have on the field. It will take an increase to maintain what we have. You know, these missionaries are not just nameless and faceless people to us especially. We know so many of them. They've been here. Some of them are dear friends of ours, Doug and Lita, Ken and Beth, so many others that we could name. God has called them and sent them to the nations. Will we partner with them? Will we make it possible for them to continue doing the ministries that they're called to fulfill all across the world? Over 2 billion people have still not had an opportunity for a witness in their language and culture, a church among their own people. And these missionaries are focusing on those places to get the gospel to them. You know, it's interesting that in America we've turned a holiday that's about the gift of God to us and we remember special gifts that Magi brought to honor God because of that gift to mankind. And we spend so much money on ourselves for Christmas. What would God call each of us to do this Christmas? To bring a gift back to Him, to Jesus. To fulfill the great commission that He laid at our feet. And ask us to join Him in fulfilling. God delivering His special message through everyday people like you and me. Pretty astounding.
Father, we pray this morning that we would be faithful in our response to you in all matters, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, ministering, whether it is uh, uh, faithfully following you, um, embodying your message, teaching it, sharing it, encouraging one another, all that you have called us to be and to do as people, as your people. May we be faithful in it. We thank you that uh, uh, you have entrusted to us this, uh, this great message, and we pray that you would continue to guide as we would faithfully follow your leading. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.